welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. The message this morning is about the return of the King. Some of you might recognise that character, it's not Jesus. Uh, (laughs) No, it's not Luke Skywalker. Aragon from the Lord of the Rings, who was the, uh, the true king part of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And he kind of wrote this, this, this uh, fantasy story about King who nobody recognised and had kind of been away and hadn't been ruling and things had gone wrong in the world. But uh, the king kind of returns. Who's seen it? Who's seen Return of the King? Some of you have, some of you are not spiritual enough. No. <laughs> no. So I, I guess I kind of want to begin this week looking... Last week, if you were here, you remember we talked uh, from Matthew chapter 24. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open up again there this morning. We're going to start off for, with the last part of Matthew 24 where we left off last week. But last week we talked about some of the things that Jesus said before he went to the cross. Some of the things that Jesus talked about with his disciples before the end of his time on earth and his ministry on earth. Now, uh, I don't know if you've ever kind of, um, if you know, if you've ever kind of had the opportunity to sort of give uh, like some last words, some last instructions. Maybe you've been going away and leaving somebody in charge of your house and it's just kind of like the the, the last instructions that you give uh, are often really important ones, aren't they? They're kind of like the last things that you want to make sure that they remember. You know, if you've, uh, I know there's been a few times when I've, Kerry and I have gone away and left the kids home and, you know, it's like, make sure you feed the dog and make sure you don't burn the house down and uh, always remember that we love you and, and that kind of stuff. So sometimes it's <laughs> the really essential kind of important things, just, just like that. Uh, but when we kind of have the, uh, some of the things that we see Jesus and we read about Jesus talking about as his, his, uh, the end of his ministry is, is growing nearer, and we looked at some of the things. So we looked at Jesus' instruction to the people about the abomination that causes desolation. And we talked about how that was fulfilled within the generation of the people that he was talking to when Rome ransacked Jerusalem and and uh, sacrificed pigs in the temple and many Christians were saved because they fled the city. I remember Jesus' words and fled the city but Jesus also talked a little bit about his return and the signs and the things that would kind of point up towards his return. So if you weren't here last week and you missed that, it is up on the website. But I want to pick up from Matthew chapter 24 because he's got some more, there's some further things that he wants to talk about in, uh, so we're going to pick up from verse 45. So Jesus says, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, ah, my master won't be back for a while. And he begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk. But the master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a pretty tough passage of scripture isn't it that's a pretty stern warning that Jesus is giving to his disciples he's not mincing words when he starts talking about people being cut into pieces is it is it that's pretty stern stuff so how do we interpret how do we understand what Jesus is talking about in this passage of scripture some of the things that Jesus talked about can be difficult at times to understand but let's just kind of look at what we know, all right? Who's the master? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, it's not a trick question, all right? It's, it, yeah. 
it's, it's reasonably not that difficult to determine that from that passage of Scripture. The, the master who's, Jesus is talking, saying, I'm going away, I'm going to be away, gone a long time, but then I'm going to return. This is the context of what we're talking about. So when he tells a story about a master going away and then coming back at a, an unexpected and unknown time, he's talking about himself and his return. So who's the servant? That's us. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's people. It's his, his followers. If we are servants of Jesus, then we can put ourselves into the stories when Jesus talks about servants of the Master. And he's given us a job to do. And he's going to come back, make a judgment, make a discernment about whether or not we've been doing the right thing with the job that he gave us to do. Have we been doing a good job? Have we been, you know, doing the things that he called us to do? So what is it that is the job of the servant in this particular example, in this particular passage? Managing the other servants and feeding them. So essentially what Jesus is saying, he's saying the master goes away, he entrusts all of his resources, he gives the the, the servant the credit card, all right? And he says, you make sure that everybody gets what they need at the right time. You make sure that everybody's got food and everybody's looked after and everybody's taken care of. And Jesus talks a lot about this particular subject, doesn't he? Throughout his ministry, he talked a lot about what we do with the stuff that he's given us. What we do with the resources and, 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 and the money and the things and the material stuff that he's entrusted us with. Jesus says a whole lot about that. If you read through the Gospels, um, it's a big topic because it's one that we kind of, it is, is a bit of a problem in the world, isn't it? It's one that is a challenge. How do we manage, how do we faithfully kind of use the things that God has given to us? What is it for? And Jesus is talking about how to distribute what God has given us in the right way so that all of his servants get what they need when they need it. That all of his servants get fed, nobody suffers. And at some point, he's going to check up on us and he's going to decide how we did with that. Whether we followed his instructions, whether we kept it all for ourselves and had parties and got drunk and made all of the other servants suffer because they went without or whether we followed his instructions and we were fair and we distributed the stuff and all of his servants and all of his people got what they needed. And it sounds fairly simple, doesn't it? It's, it's not an overly complicated concept. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy, but it's not particularly complicated. It is simple. Does anybody have any kind of difficulty understanding that concept it's pretty straightforward isn't it the problem is that when the stuff comes in and when it's in our hands it has a tendency to kind of want to stick to us and it's not coming in that's the problem it's the getting it back out again sometimes even when we're trying uh, (laughs) sometimes and Jesus says you know suppose that that servant is wicked you know, he stays, he's, and he says, oh, you know, he thinks, oh, the master's not coming back, he's been gone for ages, and he's probably never coming back, and, you know, I can just take all of the master's stuff and just do what I want with it. I can use it for myself. What's the, what's the choice that he's making in that moment? He's saying, I'm, I'm going to keep the stuff, I don't care who was meant to get this stuff or who it was for, I'm going to keep it for myself. And Jesus gives that, that, that warning. You know, he says that servant will be taken out and cut to pieces and assigned a place with the hypocrites with weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. This is, a, this is some really stern stuff from Jesus. We don't often think about Jesus, or we don't often like to think about Jesus talking like this, do we? I mean, when was the last time you thought about Jesus talking about cutting someone up into pieces and throwing them out on the garbage pile? It's like, there's, there's, there's not too many posters that feature verses like that. Is <laughs> but this, this is the same, you know, this is, Jesus is, you know, we want Jesus to be the, the calm kind of 
you know, serene, carrying the little lamb on his sheep and playing games with the little kids and giving them a hug. And, you know, that's the kind of Jesus that makes it to the, the, the posters and the, the screensavers and all that kind of stuff, isn't it? But this is the same God that destroyed the world in a flood because of its evil and its wickedness. You know, God is a God of justice. God is not just kind of uh, warm and fuzzy all the time, although He is he's loving and compassionate and caring, but He's also just. And He also hates evil uh, and wrongdoing and He punishes it. God is a God of, of justice and He hates it when people hurt His other kids. And we can, we can look at that this kind of story with our own sense of justice and we think, you know, well, if that servant was entrusted with you know, the, the meal plans for everybody and making sure that everybody was looked after and he was beating them and he wasn't feeding them and, and stuff, we would say that that guy was evil and what he was doing was wrong and he deserved to be punished, wouldn't we? And if the master just turned up and said, oh, well, you know, that's all good, no worries, or it doesn't matter, we, we wouldn't think that was, that was right. We wouldn't think that was very fair, would we? So Jesus gives this this really stern warning and he says, don't hog the stuff and if you do you'll be in trouble and in many ways the lure of of material things in our world today begins to uh to define our commitment to god's kingdom how we think about material stuff how we think about possessions how we think about money how we treat money uh, begins to define whether we're committed to god or, or whether our loyalties are, are kind of elsewhere. Makes us, um, uh, money makes us either want to keep it or to get it out to where God wants it. And it begins to divide loyalties and highlight whether we're part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world. It begins to reveal what's in our heart, doesn't it? What's important to us. Now, when we don't have the stuff, when we don't have much, we don't have much in the way of possessions or money it's easy to not be too attached to it because we haven't got any (laughs) i don't know if you've ever noticed that it's it's a lot easier (laughs) as we begin to as stuff becomes to come in then we begin to like have to make some of these choices about what we do with the extra that we have now it's not about like this is not a message saying you to go out and sell everything you've got and give it all away and, and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, Paul writes in Second Corinthians eight, I agree, but he talks about he's talking to the Corinthian church about an offering for the church in Jerusalem, and he's saying like I want to encourage you to to give, but not so that you go without and and they've got plenty. It's so that there is a quality. So like you've got plenty now that you share with those who have lack. And later on, they might have plenty and they can share with you. But God's way is that the stuff gets distributed, the resources get distributed so that all of His kids, all of His people have got what they need. This is such an important thing, an important principle that the, the enemy, the devil, who kind of, if you like, runs a lot of how the world system operates today, also uses this kind of system we're going to look at a few verses in revelation that kind of talk a little bit about this kind of divided loyalties if you like now i just want to say that this might be the spot in the message that some of the stuff that i say talk about this morning is going to be different or contradict some of the stuff that you've heard before or some of the stuff that you might have learned particularly around end times kind of stuff all right and that's okay like this is not the this is not the hinge pin that everything sort of rests on this morning. This is we're going to talk about some stuff and hopefully trying to understand how scripture talks about it. But I'm not going to say anything, I hope, that is going to be super contradictory in terms of principles that what we read about from Jesus' words in Matthew and, and in other places of scripture. All right. So who's ever had a go at reading the book of Revelation? Did you make it all the way through? Some of you did, some of you didn't. Did you understand everything that you read? (laughs) If you did, see me afterwards and you can explain some of it to me. (laughs) Some of it is hard to understand, isn't it? And a lot of it is because we don't have a good kind of context or frame of reference for a lot of the things that we're reading about. 
it, it can be a little bit helpful to think of it in terms of the Apostle John, or the, John the disciple, who's seeing this vision in heaven, and it's like a kind of like a, a play that's being uh, played out in front of him, and he's trying to describe some of the things that he's seeing. And some of those things, like in a play or a movie or whatever, they, they represent other things. So there's all kinds of interesting and, and weird and wonderful kind of things. There's dragons and beasts with horns and he's kind of like, you know, this one's got the, uh, the head of a lion and the feet of a bear and, the, 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 you know, bits of this and bits of that and, uh, and crowns and, and frogs and all sorts of random scorpions and things that are kind of thrown in in this picture. But John is kind of like, he's trying to paint a word picture to help you to see what he's seeing. And there's lots of characters and things that happen that are kind of symbolic or represent other stuff. And one of the things that, one of the figures that we see in Revelation chapter 13 is this beast that comes. And the beast that's talked about in the book of Revelation is a fairly significant character in the book of Revelation. So we're going to look at this and see if we can work out who it is. All right. So let's read Revelation 13. I just want to pick up verse 16. To 18 where it's talking about this beast that we were just talking about it says it also forced all people great and small rich and poor free and slave to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads who's heard that talked about before yep lots of us have i'm going to suggest this morning that it might not be what you think it is all right we're going to come to that i'm just prepping you i'm getting in early the mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now John is really helpful here and he's going to tell us um, a little bit of information. He says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. And insert spooky music here. <laughs> now, it's really interesting that this is, uh, I, I find it really fascinating. This is one of the most famous kind of verses in the whole Bible. Like, I reckon just about up there with uh, even more famous than John 3.16. You can go out there and you can ask anybody on the street, you can ask atheists you can ask you know the most tattooed rough uh people you like you know what is 666 about and they'll know straight away won't they and they'll know it's like it has to do with the devil and you know it's demonic and it's evil because it's you know it's there's been a lot of stuff uh talked about uh the the whole 666 thing you know, it's, 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 it's in movies and, you know, you often see the, the really evil guys will have it tattooed on them somewhere and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and particularly in relation to things about the end of the world and Armageddon and, and all that kind of stuff, it always kind of fits in there somewhere. But understanding it, I, I hope and I think that it's probably not as complicated to understand as sometimes what we think. Now, we need to understand that marking is all about ownership. In the Bible, whenever something is marked, it's always with the idea of you are putting your stamp of ownership on something. You know, like they used to brand cattle or put the ear tags on animals. When you, when you mark something, you are always declaring that it is your property is your ownership. It's a bit like, uh, I don't know, where you get, you know, you used to get those little engravers and it was kind of this thing and it's like, you know, you can engrave on your stuff and make sure if anyone ever steals it, you know, it's got your, your mark, your name on it so that you can prove that it was yours. And, and so that's a little bit of what we kind of see going on here. Now, in Revelation, we read about this, this mark that is getting put onto people. But before that, there's actually a, a previous marking that has gone on where an angel went out and marked all of the people who belong to the Lord. And he put a seal on their forehead. And so we kind of, you know, there's this, this idea, it's kind of flowing on with this same kind of idea that God's marked and, and put a seal, an indicator on who belongs to him. And so the devil says, well, I'm going to do that too. and I'm going to put a mark, I'm going to put a, a seal on all the people that belong to me. 
when we talk about the, the forehead, for, forehead, that's the forehead, and the right hand, we also need to go back into kind of Jewish culture, if you like, to understand the importance of why those particular places of our body are mentioned. Um, the forehead, what do we think the forehead might represent or symbolise? The mind, yeah, our thoughts. So the, to, to have a, a, a kind of a, a seal on your forehead means that your thoughts are owned. And, and we kind of see, and the right hand, what, is, what do we think the, the right hand might represent? Right hand represents our work, our strength, our actions, what we do. So essentially what we're talking about is to have something on your forehead and your right hand in Jewish culture. And this is why we see um, in Jewish, have you ever seen Jewish people, even today, that have those funny little black boxes strapped around their head and wrapped around their wrist? Has anybody ever seen that? They're called phylacteries and they have little, little tiny bits of scripture in there two kind of key verses that are important to them and they wear them on their their right kind of hand slash wrist and around their forehead to symbolize that they are keeping the word of God in their thoughts and in their actions that the word of God is dictating or, or, or leading or guiding or giving authority to you know so it's a kind of way of saying everything I think and everything I do I'm, I'm wanting it to line up with Scripture. I'm wanting it to be dedicated to the Lord. I remember, <laughs> it's funny, I was kind of thinking about this and I remembered uh, Barry Chant, Pastor Barry Chant. Anybody remember Pastor Barry? Some of you have, no. He was talking once in a, in a conference about how, I think when he was in Bible college, they, they, there was a few of the people, they used to write the letters UTL on their hand as a reminder of that passage of scripture. Do you remember that passage of scripture that says, whatever you do, whatever you work at, do it, you know, willingly and enthusiastically as if you were working for the Lord? Um, and, and so the UTL was unto the Lord to remind them that, you know, that, you know, everything you do, do it as if it's unto the Lord. Um, and, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of that. And it might seem like a bit of a, a strange sort of, uh, way of thinking about things as if you know as if putting something around your head can actually change the way you think but it was a way of kind of reminding ourselves uh, or, or themselves and uh, of like that your thoughts should align with God and your actions your strength your work should also align with what God wants for you but in this case the the, the mark is something that a beast is using to identify who is his own so he wants your thoughts to be directed towards his system and his economy and his way of doing things and he wants you to be working for the things that he says are important and not what God says are important. So it becomes this time of sort of dividing between who is God's, who is, whose priorities are God's priorities and whose priorities are the world's priorities. Who, who is thinking after? Does this kind of make some sense? Maybe? No? Yes? All right, hopefully you're following. There's a lot of stuff that I could have added in here and I could have given a lot of other sort of things to try to explain, but time doesn't permit for us to spend too long on this and I don't want this to be the whole focus of the message this morning, but it's kind of like drawing this picture of a distinction between those who who are chasing after the things of God and those who are chasing after the things of the world. All right? So the beast's name and his number are both revealed in this passage of Scripture, aren't they? Notice that it says uh, that it calls for wisdom and not knowledge. If it said, here it says, this calls for wisdom, if it said this calls for knowledge, then we would have to wait until somebody had the right information. We, we would have to wait until somebody had the, the knowledge about who he was and what he was. But he says this calls for wisdom. He says, uh, if anyone who has insight, anybody who has wisdom or understanding should be able to figure this out. So what does it say? It says, we should be able to calculate the number of beasts, the number of the beasts, for it is the number of a man. And that word that's a man is actually the word for mankind, humanity people and he says that number is 666 
So the number of the beast is the number of who? Humankind. The number of the beast is the number of humanity. Are you, are you kind of drawing some, like, what does that suggest about the identity of the beast? Yeah, it kind of suggests that, doesn't it? If the beast's number is our number, then doesn't that mean that us as humanity uh, are the beasts? And uh, uh, this, this is actually a fairly biblical kind of principle because the beast was kind of set up in opposition to God and kind of rebelled against God. And, and what have we as humankind done throughout the, the centuries and the, and the ages? We have rebelled against God. We turned away from God and said, God, we don't want to do things your way. We can do it our own way. You can have your kingdom up there in heaven, but we're going to rule the world down here. And over and over again, we've set ourselves up as the object of worship. We've set humankind up as the object of worship, don't we? Humankind worships itself. People worship themselves. They say, I'm the ultimate authority i get to choose what i do with my life i'm i you know i should be able to do what i want and and i think increasingly even in our day and age you know we might not make little statues and you know in kind of in that sense but uh, in terms of worship of self it's essentially it's that that's that that idea that you're worthy, you, you deserve all of that stuff that you, you know, all that money that God's given you, you deserve to keep it, you're, you're worthy, you earned it, you're, you're worth spending that, doing that, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Earlier in Revelation 13, it talks about another beast that looked like a lamb and spoke like a dragon and caused people to worship the beast and in some ways, I think that's what Satan's role in the world is, isn't it? Kind of, he looks like a lamb, but he causes us to worship ourselves. He encourages us to worship ourselves. He encourages us to prioritize ourselves and our own desires and our own kind of values and set ourselves up as being the ultimate arbiters of, of truth and working out what's right and what's not right. And people say all these kinds of things. You know, you, you talk about your truth. You know, speak your truth. You know, have you ever heard someone say that? The Bible talks a lot about this kind of um, division, if you like, between those who follow Jesus and have God's priorities and those who follow this world system of putting self first. First uh, John chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 it says don't love this world or any nor the things it offers you for when you love the world you do not have the love of the father in you for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions does that sound familiar he said these are not from the father but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And John's writing and he's talking to these people and he's saying, don't love the world, don't love anything about it. Don't love the things that the world values. Don't love the things that the world tells you that you should be loving. Don't tell you, don't love the things that the world tells you uh, are worth having. Don't love its pleasures. Don't love the way it measures success. Don't love its flattery. Don't love anything about it, but love God absolutely. And we have a we have, we're gonna make that choice, don't we? And I think not just once usually if you're anything like me we're going to make that choice again and again and again and you know you get we get sucked into prioritizing the things that the world tells us to prioritize and we've got to be making that choice again and again um to to go to to put aside those things to let go of those things to choose uh to prioritize what god says and to value the things that god says to value and not the things that the world says who are we going to love are we going to love God? Are we going to pursue God? Are we going to seek His kingdom first? Or are we going to pursue 
the world. Jesus says in Matthew 6, you, pro- you probably know this verse, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. What drives you? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what uh, influences your decision-making? James 4, verses 4 and 5. James writes, he says, You adulterers, don't you realise that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the Spirit He has placed within us should be faithful to Him. Over and over and over again through the Scripture, we see this principle of division between those who serve God and those who serve the world. And it is very, very clear, unequivocal, you cannot argue that the Scripture says that you can't have a foot in both camps. You you can't have a bit of this and a bit of that. You can't have a bit of God and a bit of chasing after what I want to get out of this life. This This is why it's so important that we understand that when we came to Christ, we surrendered our right to chase after that stuff because we gave up the system of the world in order to become part of the kingdom of God. We're no longer part of the kingdom of the world. All of these scriptures are about choosing sides, deciding where does my loyalty lie? Are you going to side with God or the world? And what happens is that that, that marking process that Revelation talks about um, you know, God marks his, devil marks his, and kind of it's the devil's way of sort of marking who belongs to him, but it's it's not just an end times thing, is it? It actually happens all the time. We wrestle with this all the time. What, where are my priorities? Am I, do I, am, am I priorities God's priorities, or am I setting my own priorities? Am I setting my own values? Am I doing what God wants me to do with the stuff that he's given me, or am I making my own choice am i keeping it am i hogging it am i hoarding it now suppose that you've you know you got just enough to to get by just enough to feed and clothe and and house your family and and kind of get by that's fine but what happens when extra comes in when you get a little bonus or you get a pay rise or there's there's extra that's kind of coming in over and above what you actually really need now, I don't know uh, if, you're, if you're anything like me uh, and probably like most of the world that we live in, our income tends to be just enough. <laughs> we tend to use it up, don't we? We find ways to use it up and if we don't have enough ways to use it up, we find some more ways. We tend to live to the extent and probably even in our Western culture, even just a little bit beyond what we can actually afford. And we have a, a whole issue with uh, credit card debt and all those kinds of things. But that's a whole other thing to talk about. Um, but the temptation when we have extra come in, instead of kind of going, oh, here's an opportunity, here's something over and above what I normally have and what I'm used to living on, you know, I can, I can find some way to, to give it out and to share that and distribute it. With, with someone else, our temptation is to go, oh, I deserve a little, you know, bonus, a little treat, a little this, a little that, or, no, isn't it? I should be able to choose what to do with it. I should be able to decide. The temptation is to fall into that trap of worshipping ourself. And God is saying that extra that you've got is stuff that I put in your hands to be distributed to someone else. And if you keep it, you get extra. But someone else goes without. This is not a very pleasant message this morning, is it? 
Are you regretting that you came to church today? <laughs> this is tough. Like, I, I don't like this message much. <laughs> I, I'm constantly aware of the things that I feel like I need but don't have. Constantly aware of stuff that needs fixing up at my house and, you know... Uh, I could give you a long list if you wanted, but I'll save you the pain and the the time of that this morning. You know, I I can look at that stuff, but I can also kind of look at how blessed I am and how blessed probably most of us are, even just living in this amazing lucky country that we live in of Australia. We have so much more and we're, we're so much more resources than a lot of people around the world today. It's not a particularly warm and fuzzy kind of, you know, message today, but it's a challenging one. I think it's an important one for us. James chapter 4, the first few verses, James is writing to people and he's saying, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And uh, even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. (laughs) You want only what will give you pleasure. Now, there's nothing wrong with money there's nothing wrong with material things there's nothing wrong with having a house or a car or you know a couch to sit on or a kitchen to cook stuff in there's nothing wrong with having stuff but Jesus knows that it causes us all kinds of problems and so he says I'm going to give you this guidance I'm going to give you this direction I'm going to teach you some stuff so that you know how to deal with it so that you don't get corrupted by it so they don't get sucked into it so that you don't uh, so that you rule over it and you use it and you don't let it use you you don't let it rule over your heart he says stay loyal to the father not to the stuff first timothy 6 verses 6 to 10 says true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth after all we brought nothing with us when we came into the world And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, you've probably heard this verse quoted and misquoted a lot. Um, There's lots of people out there who go, oh, the love of money is the the source of all evil in the world. Well, it's not actually saying that, it just says all kinds of evil, doesn't it? Many many different kinds. You know, and, and it's true, isn't it? You know, cheating and stealing and lying and corruption and, and abuse and control, worship of a false god, you, <laughs> chasing after financial success, chasing after money and, and greed and all that kind of stuff often leads people away from faith in God. And Paul's writing to Timothy and he's saying it's, it's really hard. People who are, are lured by wealth and by money, are often taken away. So I want to give you some, just, just three points real quick. Um, what is the right way to look at stuff? We talked about lots of kind of the, the dangers of getting lured and corrupted and taken in. But the first one is to remember that we are only stewards of what we've been given. I know that's not going to be a dramatic revelation for many of you. We kind of, we say that, we talk about it. Um, we kind of know what it means, but sometimes uh, it's important for us to come back and remind ourselves of this stuff from time to time, isn't it? 
Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world uh, and all its people belong to Him. It's a little bit like, let me just kind of imagine, if you like, for a minute that there's, there's a beach and there's a, like a, all these people that are building sandcastles. And I kind of like that's the, the work of their life. And there's a finite amount of sand to go around. And so people start fighting over each other so that they can build a bigger sandcastle. They can accumulate more of that sand and build a bigger tower and monument to themselves and have more and be more. And they're attacking each other and biting each other. And, um, you know, but what happens at the end of the day? tide comes in sandcastle and sandcastle maker are washed away and all of it's for nothing you know when you when you die we we just read when you die you can't take it with you can you we, it gets left to someone else and then they fight over it and you know and all this kind of stuff and and you know they get it oh look now he's got it and you imagine what god uh feels about that sometimes when he looks at the way that we chase after stuff as if that is the, 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 the main point of living, is to accumulate stuff. And God looks at that, you know, and He's been looking at that, I think, as people have done that for thousands of years. And He must scratch His head sometimes <laughs> and go, why, why do they do that? Don't they, don't they realize that it's, it's all just going to be washed away? It's all going to be worthless one day. It means nothing in heaven. Remember that we are only stewards of what we've been given. Number two, what we get is to be used to help others. What we get is to be used to help others. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means raising our hands and closing our eyes and worshipping really passionately in church on Sunday. <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't, that wasn't James. Sorry, that was that that other passage. <laughs> no, he says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God and the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. He says you want the you want the basics of what it means to be a Christian, the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. It means looking after people, making sure that the stuff gets distributed right. Help them if you can. Don't get sucked into the world's priorities and the world's system. Don't let it corrupt your heart. Don't get consumed. First Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, and these are some tough words too. He says, But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Whew. He says, there, there, is people in your, there are people in your life and, and God has given you resources to be able to, to distribute it to them. There are people in your life that are there and, and that are meant to be taken care of by the stuff that you have. Now, there's a lot of kind of conflict in the world over this, isn't there? Because the, the problem is that um, the wealth, there, there is plenty of money in the world. There is plenty of wealth in the world for everybody to be fed, everybody to be looked after, everybody to, to have health care, all of that kind of stuff. The problem is not a shortage of resources. God has created a world where, where stuff grows and, uh, you know, and he, He's created all kinds of things that produce food and He's created people who, to be clever and intelligent, to make stuff that can do things and um, make our, our life um, good and, and efficient. But the problem is that the distribution system is broken. The problem is not a, a lack of resources. The problem is that it isn't all in the right place. And you know why the distribution is, is broken? Because we're the ones who are in charge of it. We're the ones who get to do it. As, as human beings, as people, humankind are in charge of distributing the resources that God has provided for us and, and we don't do it well, do we? 
we, we, we hoard and we accumulate and we have the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer and you know, instead of stuff being shared around, it's being hoarded and accumulated. God created this kind of world and, and system so that there would be plenty for everybody. Now, not everybody is equally good at, at getting stuff. Don't we see that worked out in the world? There are people who just seem to be able to, to make money. There are people who just seem to be able to, they just, it just kind of comes in and everything they do turns to gold. And there are others and it seems like it, it's unfair because we work and we work and we work really hard and we, it never seems to make much difference. <laughs> the distribution uh, of resources and wealth is not always based on how hard you work or how much talent you've got. Otherwise, I think school teachers would be paid like rock stars. <laughs> the problem is this unequal distribution and greed and corruption and selfishness. These are the reasons why some people don't have enough to get by. Uh, the third thing and last thing, remember that the master is returning. When the master returns... He's going to reclaim everything that belongs to him. He's going to take back control of everything that belongs to him. What belongs to him? All of it. <laughs> He's going to take back control of it. And, and we will give an account of what we did, how we stewarded what he put into our hands. We will give an account of that. One last scripture I want to share with you this morning. I know time's getting on, but I just want to share this one last scripture in Luke chapter 12. So that verse that we read right at the start from Matthew when Jesus talked about um, the, the servant and the master and all that kind of stuff. Luke tells the same story and from uh, verse 42 and 46 in Luke, uh, a kind of the same story recounted by Luke. But Luke adds this little extra bit at the end. Verse 47, he says, A servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. Another translation says, beaten with many blows. <laughs> At verse 48, he goes on and says, but someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly, only a few blows. <laughs> when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. God doesn't expect massive things from you when you don't have a lot, which is a good thing, isn't it? It, it kind of seems fair. But as we get extra, no, I, I just want to say that doesn't mean that if we've only got a little bit, we can just be wasteful and we don't have to be faithful and, you know, even little bits matter, right? Yes? All right. Um, but when God blesses us with more, when He entrusts us with more, when extra comes in, it's not always just for you to have for yourself, but it is God saying, I, I'm trusting you with this extra. I'm trusting you with more than what you need for yourself and trusting that you will distribute it, that you will ask me how I want it to be distributed, that you will use it to, to care for people, to care for those who are struggling, to care for those who don't have enough, to care for those who have needs. The bad news for all of us here this morning is that now you know. <laughs> I'm sorry for putting you in that position. <laughs> there's no longer any excuse. If you don't do it now, like you, there's many blows. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's also blessing when we do. There's blessing when we are faithful. When God entrusts us with that extra and we use it, to, to bless others when we distribute it and we share it around so that God's servants get fed and cared for and looked after he will come back and there will be a blessing and we will be rewarded and we will hear that well done good and faithful servant I want to hear that and as hard as it is at times 
to, to kind of give stuff away and to let go of stuff, every time I do, it kind of lessens that hold that it has on me. And I'm working towards hearing that statement. I, well done, good and faithful servant is much preferable to many blows, <laughs> in my opinion. So I'm working towards the well done and trying to work away from the, 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 the many blows. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who loves and provides for your people. Father, there's some, some tough stuff in the word that you've given us this morning and we want to we take it in, we want to hear it, we want to be obedient, we want to listen to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Father, it's easy to get sucked into chasing after the things that the world tells us are important, the things that the world tells us that we need. God, I pray for each one of us here this morning that, that you would be redirecting the desires of our heart, that you would be working in us, that you would be stirring in us, that you would be challenging us, that you would be prompting us. And God, that as you entrust us with things, Lord, remind us of this stuff. Remind us that we are stewards of, of your stuff that we have this responsibility to prioritize things your way, to share with others who need it, to distribute the stuff around so that all your people get fed and cared for and looked after. Father, help us to be faithful, to seek you first, to love you most, first and foremost. God, help us by your Spirit we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on